This is a Federal News Network podcast. Anyone driving to the store to buy hamburger knows how vulnerable the nation's infrastructure has become to cyber attacks. Both the energy and food industries have been hit in recent weeks with ransomware. But what about cars and trucks themselves? The more they become rolling connected computers, the more they'll attract cyber attacks, too. Now the National Security Agency has teamed up with Morgan State University to learn more about vehicular vulnerabilities. Joining me with the details, the director of the Cybersecurity Assurance and Policy Center at Morgan State, Professor Kevin Cornegay. Dr. Cornegay, good to have you on. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Tell us what it is you're going to be working with the NSA to actually do here. The project involves assessing the vulnerabilities through sort of using reverse engineering techniques. So we're looking at both the hardware and software that comprises these systems that are deployed in the automobiles. These systems include electronic control units, also known as ECUs. They all communicate to access and control the subsystems in a car, for example, such as your braking system or your navigation system. Now, all these subsystems communicate across what they call the control area network bus, which also connects to your Bluetooth, your Wi-Fi, and so forth. So these are the from an adversarial standpoint, these provide access points for a hacker to launch an attack. For example, they may inject some malicious code or firmware that onto the electronic device to create havoc. So in other words, even if you don't have one of those uh, satellite help systems like General Motors offers, or you don't have a software-updated car such as some of the electrics that get firmware upgrades over the air, even then you could be vulnerable if you have a Bluetooth connection. Exactly, because you also have the supply chain issue where these devices are manufactured in other parts of the world where, again, someone with malicious intent can insert Trojans into the hardware or software unbeknownst to the manufacturer. These provide open doors for these folks so that they can control, for example, a Tesla. Sure. And now that we have kind of a semiconductor shortage that's plaguing the industry and there's going to be a rush to catch up, that could create vulnerabilities coming in now in the next generation or the next round of automobile and truck build. Yes, this is so true, which is why there's a big push from the DOD and intelligence community to establish what they call a trusted supply chain, a manufacturing supply chain. There's a program called GIDRA that was developed by NSA, and you're going to be working with them on that. Tell us what GIDRA is and how Morgan State will use it in this research. GIDRA is an open source tool that NSA developed. We can use to reverse engineer the firmware that runs on these embedded electronic components, or it could be a microcontroller unit and so forth. So to search the code to identify the malicious functions that are inserted in the code. And it's a tool, but to access the firmware first, you would have to exfiltrate it or extract it from the actual hardware. Now the hardware and manufacturers are getting clever They have countermeasures to make it more difficult for adversaries to extract the firmware. So you have to bypass these countermeasures, and that requires skill and instrumentation. So 
That's the first part. Now, once you have the firmware, then you use Ghidra to actually step through the code to assess it for malicious code. We're speaking with Dr. Kevin Cornegay, professor and director of the Cybersecurity Assurance and Policy Center at Morgan State University. But wouldn't the car manufacturers, I would think, want to offer the code to trusted parties like Morgan State and the NSA for the express purpose of helping them with their cybersecurity assurances? Well, you you would think so, but it's a competitive industry, so they'd like to maintain their competitive advantage over other companies. So there's a lot of mistrust, but the industry requires some standardization to address some of the security risk that these systems pose. But again, they're also driven by profit margins and so forth. So you're working against that And there's an almost infinite variety of car models and functions and features in the given, say, every Ford or every Chevrolet. Do they all have the same code, or does each variation have its own firmware? There is a standardization coming about in terms of the navigation systems. So there's automotive operating systems that uh, several manufacturers are trying to push. So there's a big push in terms of operating systems that are exclusive to automotive navigation. So there's several companies doing it. But again, the code is open source. You don't know where certain portions of the code were developed, you know, certain countries that folks have a malicious intent. So it's the open market that created this problem that we have. So unless it comes from a trusted foundry or group and it's software and the hardware is developed with security in mind as, as in the forefront. But again, because of the profit margins, you know, it's, it's quite expensive. But then again, Look, we're paying for it in terms of, as you mentioned earlier. So with the project or the the contract that you have with NSA, what is the deliverable from Morgan State? Well, we hope to provide, one, best practices to the industry and the intelligence community in terms of what measures and things they can do in terms of design and implementation to safeguard or mitigate, to plug the holes, so to speak. So we will identify the holes in the hardware and the software, provide consultation on approaches for how to plug them. So that's the goal. And NSA then will in turn communicate with industry, I would presume? With industry, yes. Uh, For example, we are also talking about bringing in consumer reports, for example. They review over 100 cars. They provide these assessments and evaluation. So perhaps we can use consumer reports as a vehicle to get the word out to the consumers. So that might be the new round dot that's half filled in or half black or totally black or totally white for consumer reports on cars is the cybersecurity rating of the car. Exactly. This is how we can affect change. And it's driven by the consumer who wants safe and secure vehicles. Particularly as we move towards autonomy, where, again, you're going to see more cars, more automobiles connected, where everything is connected. So this is the new realm where the attacks are going to be remote and they're going to be cyber attacks. You're still going to have your conventional types of things, but the cyber attacks, because of the connectivity, it's just more pervasive and you can impose more uh, maliciousness. 
it's easy to imagine the scenarios, you know, if someone got control of a car that way. So far, though, it seems like this is more of a potential than something that's actually happened. So maybe for once we're ahead of the curve. This is my take. We're being probed and adversaries are already in place. I don't think we're anywhere close to being ahead of the curve. I think the one thing we can't afford to be is reactive. They have our attention. We have to be proactive and really put forth the resources to really get a handle on these. Yeah, you could bring the nation to a uh, halt, I guess, if you were able to cause, you know, 25-car pileups from Route 5 in Los Angeles to the Beltway in D.C., you'd have a real problem. Yes. Imagine that occurring simultaneously just across the country. I mean, the supply chain implications are just uh, crazy. Dr. Kevin Cornegay is professor and director of the Cybersecurity Assurance and Policy Center at Morgan State University. Thanks so much for joining me. Oh, thank you for having me. We'll post this interview along with a link to more information at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Subscribe to the Federal Drive at Podcast One or wherever you get your shows. Welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Rick Wade, Senior Vice President of Strategic Alliances and Outreach at the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. Previously, Rick was a Senior Advisor and Deputy Chief of Staff to Secretary of Commerce Gary Locke. He worked closely with the Obama administration, and he also worked with Commerce's Economic Development Administration to foster regional economic development in distressed areas and with the Minority Business Development Agency to create jobs through the growth of minority-owned businesses. He received a BS from the University of South Carolina and an MPA from Harvard University. Rick, welcome and thanks so much for joining me. And thank you so much for having me. Look forward to the conversation. Rick, in today's environment, leaders have had to adapt and find new ways to lead with transparency and empathy. But can you tell us a bit about how you've adapted your leadership style? You know, this past year has clearly uh, presented some unique challenges that uh, certainly me uh, or I as a leader uh, have had to adapt. Uh, You think about a pandemic, for example, that has placed us in probably one of the most challenging circumstances is sort of lead in a virtual world now. I've not been in my office uh, for nearly a year. And and the idea that we don't have the human interaction, uh, which I think is very important when you think about the empathy that is a a very important value of leadership. So trying to lead from a virtual uh, environment chain and be empathetic and be sensitive to the needs of others has presented terribly difficult challenge. One of the other defining uh, moments, I think, in our time uh, that has dictated uh, a change in leadership, if you will, uh, was the murder of George Floyd. I think it created a whole different consciousness uh, in America and certainly within me uh, about the importance of being empathetic uh, in uh, in, in the way I lead, to be inclusive, uh, to be, uh, uh, to to lead in a way uh, in which you're very sensitive to the impact of your decisions uh, on those on others uh, across our community. So it certainly has been a challenging year uh, to adapt, uh, but I'm happy to say that uh, I'm still here and we're moving forward. Perfect. Throughout your career, what have been some pivotal moments or lessons learned that have shaped the leader that you are today? You know, there have been so many moments, Shane. I, you know, I grew up in rural South Carolina, 
quite honestly, at the time when I, I mean, I saw what legal segregation was. I mean, I, I wasn't able to go to an integrated school until middle school, being bused across town. And I remember, as strangely as it may sound, uh, in 1979, I wanted to run for vice president of my student body at Lancaster High School, a liberal school. And I had to run on the ballot as vice president black, literally. And there was another candidate who ran as vice president white. And the irony of that story uh, is that the following year, I ran for president and I won overwhelmingly. That was a lesson for me in leadership. And, and the lesson there was, you know, perseverance, uh, have the tenacity, uh, have a vision and overcoming barriers. And, and I didn't let the idea uh, that the construct that I had to run as vice president uh, 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 deter me from reaching my bigger dream, which was to represent students. So I know that's a, that, that perhaps may be a small example of leadership, but it really did define how I view myself, uh, the vision that I have, uh, my willingness to to fight for change. And that was that was the beginning. I think that set the foundation of how I lead. And there have been so many other moments. Uh, one of the most defining moments for me personally was uh, the, the, the massacre at Mother Emanuel Church in Charleston, South Carolina, a very close friend of mine, Senator Reverend Clemente Pinckney, who lost his life. And, and it conjured up, again, these issues of how deep the divide in terms of race in America is. And, but it also inspired me to lead even more and to lead harder and to lead with diligence and vigilance uh, to help close that divide. So there have been so many defining moments uh, uh, in my career. I, I will tell you, even uh, after the murder of George Floyd and my role at the U.S. Cha- Chamber of Commerce uh, to galvanize the business community, uh, inspired by that tragedy. And now we have a whole broad, historic sweeping, what we call equality of opportunity initiative that I'm leading, that I, that, that, that I was inspired to develop. And we're bringing together corporations from across America to address what we call equality of opportunity. So my point there, I think with all of these moments, they've all been pivotal moments at different parts of my life, my career, my journey. And I've seized those moments to make the best uh, of of them, of of what I could. That's fantastic. It's a great, great answer. Many stories. Thank you very much for sharing that. Um, Who is the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? You know, I, again, I, I can't say that I had, I had just one, but I would tell you the one person who, uh, who had, whose historical leadership has inspired me the most, and that is the leadership of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And there's so many attributes there that are consistent with my values, but the one, the one part of his leadership was vision. And I, I mean, the idea that you can have a dream which we often define and think of his big I have a dream speech. But I think that's a really important attribute of leadership, Shane, that you can sort of see beyond the challenges of today and see a better future for people and for yourself. So the, the idea that leaders have vision uh, despite the challenges is seeing a forest despite the trees. It's seeing an opportunity despite the barriers. And that that attribute, I think, is one that that I embody. I mean, I, I I'm very optimistic, uh, despite the challenges, despite the circumstances. So the whole notion of vision uh, was a very important attribute that I I learned and that I've tried to emulate from the leadership of Dr. King. Wow, fantastic! 
And as someone who's got an extensive background of federal service uh, and out of federal service, what advice would you give to feds looking to develop leadership skills? And, and you can talk about mid-career, senior career, early career. Um, what comes to mind there? Yeah, listen, I mean, you're aware that I had the, the, the fortunate opportunity. We didn't have a secretary of commerce when uh, President Obama, uh, of course, I served as one of his senior advisors, was inaugurated. And the president asked me to go to the Department of Commerce to hold the fort down. And that was one of the most exciting experiences in my entire career, not just for the title and, and, the, and the wonderful experiences, but I understood the value of federal employees. And, and folks forget sometimes, Shane, that we political appointees, we come and go. But the folks who, who are grinding every day, who are at their desk, no matter rain, sleet or snow, uh, who bring innovations, but yet don't, don't get the credit for it because the political appointees get all the credit. I think I learned something about the humility of, of being a leader. Uh, and and, and, and I, I, I built so many friends who were federal employees, not just at the manager level, but the frontline workers, the administrative assistants. And I was very deliberate. I mean, one of the things that I was most proud of, strangely enough, I was that guy, even though I was senior advisor to the Secretary of Commerce, and I, I, my office was on the floor, the top floor. We call it the blue carpet, Shane. But I made a deliberate point to go eat in the cafeteria every day, as many days as I could, just to sit down and talk with employees. And I grew from that. And, and, and there were so many times where I took their ideas back to the blue carpet and said, and I told the Secretary Locke, you got to go down and sit down and talk with regular, common, everyday folks. They're in the cafeteria, not in the dining room on the blue carpet. And so he started doing that. So the, the point is, I think for me, the advice that I would give is to continue to do the hard work. I do think that we should do a better job in government in providing the kind of admiration for those workers as we do the high level appointees. And, and that may be something that, uh, that I'm looking to work on myself uh, to help continue to advocate for our federal employees. Uh, they, they, those are the hard workers. That's where the work gets done. And, uh, and, 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 and so I think that's a lesson for me, if there was some advice and counsel I could give, is to continue to do your work, but, but we have to do our work as leaders of these agencies to create ladders uh, of success and, and, and reward and admiration for the hard work that they do. Rick, thank you very much. You've inspired me. These are tremendous insights and stories. Uh, I love every single one of them. You've got a fascinating journey in leadership yourself. And thank you very much for sharing that with us today. Well, thank you for the opportunity. Thank you. I'm Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Thank you for listening to today's Lessons in Leadership podcast. And until we see you next time, take good care. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you're sending money to. Second, Confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.